Welcome to the Conscious Leadership Club podcast, where we explore the intersection between Buddhist psychology, modern science and leadership. My name is Tim and this is the topic I'm currently studying at the University of Oxford and I'm excited to share my learnings with you. Hello and welcome in today's episode where we gonna dive into the world of Buddhist psychology and explore how this yeah, ancient wisdom can empower us to better navigate uh, complexities and challenges uh, we daily face and boost not just only our leadership skills but also our mental well-being. And in case you have ever wondered what Buddhism or the psychology behind it is all about, then this episode is for you. And also how this wisdom or knowledge can support us in moving from dissatisfaction to flourishing and thriving. So before we dive in, here's a quick and important heads up. When I talk about Buddhist psychology in this podcast, I'm always referring to the early teachings of the Buddha which explore the nature of our mind and um, they are rooted in empirical evidence, meaning um, we can observe it from our own experience and don't rely on metaphysical concepts like, for example, uh, reincarnation, which on the other hand require a rigid belief, as we know it from religious contexts, for example. So there is no need to blindly believe what I say um, and although I base my arguments on human subjectivity, all claims can be tested in the laboratory of your own life. And in fact, my goal is to encourage you to just do that. With that being said, let's start today's episode with a term you might have come across. Flourishing, which means kind of like a thriving or prospering. And this term originally comes from positive psychology and refers to a state of optimal human development and well-being. And a key model in this context is PERMA, the acronym PERMA, which outlines five elements that foster flourishing. So the P stands for positive emotions, the E for engagement, the R for relationships, the M for meaning and the A for accomplishment. And according to this PERMA model, those who flourish experience regular positive emotions, are deeply engaged in their activities, feel connected to others, and pursue something meaningful and achieve a sense of accomplishment. And personally, I find it helpful to define a concept by its opposite. Um, in this case, according to the dictionary, this would be languishing. And so while flourishing describes uh, a blooming, a thriving and a fulfilling way of life, languishing refers to a feeling of stagnation, emptiness and inner dissatisfaction. It's, it's like being bored, uninspired or demotivated, maybe also exhausted and a feeling that life lacks a greater purpose. And when looking at these definitions, they highlight a crucial point. So while optimal human development is key, our ultimate pursuit is well-being. In other words, we, we strive to flourish not just for the sake of flourishing, 
but to feel genuinely good in a sustainable way about ourselves. And this is a very important aspect and in particular in our relentless uh, self-improvement culture where we often lose, I have the feeling, sight of uh, well-being and inner contentment in our constant quest for um, improvement. And I'll delve into um, this perspective um, shortly. But first, imagine an ideal scenario where you're truly flourishing. So you have a fulfilling job, you have strong, strong relationships, um, you experience frequent positive emotions, joy and fun, and, and generally you achieve your goals when you set yourself some. So you have a sense of self-efficacy. How long does such a feeling of flourishing last? And does this really shield us from life's daily frustrations that often steal our contentment? Will, for example, challenges like having a difficult conversation at work or an over overwhelming workload not affect us? Or maybe the desire for a promotion or simply, simply wanting more time off? And understanding what enhances our well-being is no doubt incredibly valuable. Yet, I think it's, it's only half the story. Equally intriguing is exploring what gets in the way of flourishing and our, our satisfaction. Now imagine this, you're waking up on a gray and rain-soaked morning, really wishing for a few more minutes or maybe hours of sleep and a bit of sunshine instead of rain. You had plans to exercise, but yeah, the snooze button was, as always, just too tempting. And uh, when you finally get up, You can't help it but notice how yeah, exhausted you feel and that nagging back pain hasn't eased up. And once you hop on your bike and you cycle to work, out of nowhere, a car nearly hits you. And even though it was a close call, everything ends okay. But instead of saying sorry, the driver yells at you. A very classical Berlin charm, so to say. And once you arrive at the office, you open your laptop and immediately get swamped by mails. A pile of um, urgent decisions is awaiting you. So many choices and different options floating around and you're just left wondering what's the best move. And just as you're pondering all of this, a colleague pops up and asks you for help at the worst possible time. And to top it off, an irritating mail from a client drops into your inbox, stirring up both annoyance and doubt. Aren't these small daily challenges, in whatever way they seem to play out, what really hinder our flourishing and well-being? And isn't the narrative we construct around these events, like for example, feeling like a bad team player or wishing we had handled the client differently, or judging ourselves for not finding the times um, for the things that really matter to us that complicate our lives on a daily basis. And I'm not implying that there aren't any delightful moments in a typical morning. Of course there are, but it's these little irritations that tend to stand out more in our daily lives, often coloring our experience more vividly than the pleasant ones. It's almost like our mind sticks to negative stuff like Velcro, but let's positive things slide off like Teflon. And this has obvious evolutionary benefits from protecting us from dangers. But now when we don't have to worry about our survival 24-7, it's almost that this outdated brain program tremendously limits us. 
And this makes it even more important that we train our mind and update our mental operating system. And this is exactly where the Buddhist teachings come into play. Because despite our efforts to flourish and grow, we're not immune to life's challenges. They are part of our human condition. And this is the first noble truth of the Buddha, which tells us that life inherently includes unsatisfactoriness. And unsatisfactoriness encompasses not just physical pain, but also psychological stress like fear or grief and discontentment in general. And this unsatisfactoriness ranges from small things like wanting the sun to shine to bigger things like wanting um, not to lose my job. And if there's anything we wish to be different than it currently is in this moment, we're experiencing this unsatisfactoriness. And isn't that something we all face? This unsatisfactoriness embodies a sense of incompleteness and the feeling of not fully realizing our life or the lacking of something. And often we're bothered by what is happening to us, but what is the real root cause? What's really the problem? And what if the reasons are not actually external circumstances like the shouting driver, for example, or the pending decision, the critical client, or the colleague who, who, who's asking for help? What if, if the cause is our own desire or the wish for the current situation be different than it is right now? For example, longer sleep, time and motivation to work out, sunshine instead of uh, rain in the morning, no difficult decisions or more time and information uh, for decision making and so on and so on and so on. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Which brings us to the second noble truth, which states that the origin of our dissatisfaction stems from our desires or cravings and the resulting reactivity. And if we observe our behavior, we start to see that we basically resist unpleasant experiences because they don't align with our expectations or we cling to pleasant ones because we don't want them to end. For example, if you feel sad, you want the sadness gone. If you feel fulfilled, you don't want it to end. And we react and ruminate on all these things. And to a point that we become so entangled, like tangled balls of string. And this is something, yeah, the Buddha colorfully puts it in this, in this metaphor. And these two noble truths that life is marked by challenges and dissatisfaction And the reason for this is our constant desire of wanting things to be different, which ultimately leads to reactivity, points to a formula. And this formula is reactivity equals dissatisfaction. So the greater the reactivity, the greater the dissatisfaction. Or the smaller the reactivity or the less the reactivity, the less, lesser the dissatisfaction. And this, this formula shows that the experience itself is not the problem. Not even the wanting per se is, because we are, we are um, social human beings and, and wanting is, is, is a natural thing. But it's, it's rather, it's our relationship to this experience and how we react to a situation and our craving for having it a certain way. And this is why the self-improvement industry often exacerbates dissatisfaction by fueling our constant desire to improve 
rather than actually addressing the root issue and helping us. And you might know someone who hops from one self-help topic to the next and endlessly seeking improvement, but not really finding contentment. So let's do a quick recap of what we've covered so far. We started with an exploration of the term flourishing, highlighting development as a mean to an end and that the end itself is called well-being. We've discussed the factors that facilitate flourishing, but realized that everyday dissatisfactions are what often get in our way. And these dissatisfactions are a fundamental part of life and of being human, which constitute the first noble truth. And then we talked that the source of these dissatisfactions is our reactivity resulting from our desire to have it a certain way, which is or which constitutes the second noble truth. And the content of what we experience is not so much the problem as how we relate to that experience. Okay, so the crucial question now is, how do we handle this unsatisfactoriness and this never-ending desire and resulting reactivity from it? Which leads us to the third noble truth, which states that overcoming these daily or life frustrations um, and, and truly uh, flourish is possible by eliminating the root cause, which is our activity. But how do we actually do this? And how do we overcome our reactivity and disentangle ourselves from all this mental rumination? That is the million dollar question. And most self-help books and also coaches talk about visualizing goals and just think more positively. But the real solution lies in a deeper understanding, as indicated by the fourth noble truth, which outlines a path, um, a, a guide, so to say, to overcoming reactivity and achieving genuine satisfaction. And one of the key elements of this path is mindfulness, which can be seen as the training of the mind. And you might wonder now, why do we need all this context of Buddhist psychology and Buddhist teachings? Isn't meditating using an app enough to train the mind? And while meditation is a great start, don't get me wrong, the broader framework is often missing, which gives the context to this practice. It's like using a tool without its manual. You can certainly use it, but you won't necessarily discover all its power or use all its power. Without this manual, meditation becomes a mere attention control and concentration improvement. The benefit is, is definitely a more relaxed and calmer mind, which helps in terms of reactivity. But this treats the symptom rather than the root cause. And without an understanding of the mental mechanisms that cause unsatisfactoriness in the first place, and how this arises in our minds and how mindfulness can also transform these challenges, we kind of lack a map to navigate forward. And so we end up just applying concentrating and calming techniques more forcefully to break through the barrier of dissatisfaction. And it's not just about calming down when we feel stressed or dissatisfied but also about understanding, or more importantly, about understanding what causes this dissatisfaction in the first place and how responding skillfully can help us before being swept into reactivity.
It's more about developing a an, an cognitive and experiential understanding of how our mind works to ultimately liberate ourselves. And this is where the Buddhist teachings give us a lot of context. And as we delve deeper, we'll discover that our minds and especially our thoughts are powerful architects of our reality. It's our perception, our thought processes and our mental frameworks and self-use that fundamentally determine the quality of our lives. So in the end, true flourishing is only achievable when we recognize, understand and transform these reactive patterns that keep us so captive. And mindfulness practice and Buddhist psychology offer the roadmap for this journey, the manual I just talked about. And the outcome is maintaining composure in tough situations, acting more thoughtfully and adaptively rather than reactive um, or reacting passively and treating ourselves and others with an understanding and compassion. And only by engaging with our own thoughts and emotions, a skill I call uh, introspection or self-leadership, can we change ourselves and others. And this is what lies at the core of this podcast, to cultivate a greater awareness of our thoughts and actions in order to having a real impact. And in our next episode, we delve into the origins of these maps and frameworks that guide us on this path. Until then, keep on rocking 